welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to ask you this question. What's heaven like? Now, if I were to go real cheesy, I'd say close your eyes and imagine it. But, but we don't have to do that, right? If I were to ask you, what is heaven like? Call that, like, picture in your mind up. My guess is that your default picture of heaven, that my default picture of heaven, is wrong. Uh, this morning, I, I pulled up and I said, Google, what does heaven look like? Show me images, right? And, and the images that Google showed me is exactly what most of us have in our minds, right? All the pictures were sort of cloudy and bright, right? And if there was sort of any sort of person in the picture of heaven, they looked a little bit ghosty, right? They were kind of see-through. You see, because our view of heaven is just that. It's cloudy People are kind of ghost-ish. There's a lot of bright light. Maybe in your mind, it's sort of the cartoons that some of us grew up with kids where everybody's kind of hanging out on clouds and they've got their harp and their white robe and they're just sort of floating around. See, for many of us, myself included, when we hear the word heaven, that's where our mind goes. And the good news is that that is completely wrong. It's completely wrong. For, for one thing, and we'll get into this more next week, but if, if heaven is clouds and harps, my first question would probably be, do I get to bring magazines? Right? That sounds like the worst flight ever because I'm just sitting there and, and I don't know what to do. You see, our picture of heaven is completely disconnected from the picture of the Bible. Our picture of heaven, in fact, is more informed by culture, by sort of the 20th century sort of American culture's view on heaven, than it is on the Bible. It's really interesting. There's been this sort of rash of books, and one of them comes out every five or six years and becomes a New York Times bestseller, and it's something about, I died and went to heaven, and then I came back, and here I am. Let me tell you the story by my book. Go see my movie. And there is apparently a lot of money to be made in these stories. But what's so fascinating about all of these books, all of these books that say, I went to heaven, I came back, let me tell you what it's about, the picture that those books paint of heaven is the picture of what our culture says about heaven and are disconnected from what the Bible says about heaven. It just sort of reinforces our views of clouds and shiny throne rooms and bright lights. You see, because in our culture, we can't imagine how our bodies connect to heaven. It is beyond our imagination what our bodies have to do with heaven. In fact, I, w- I was thinking about this uh, this week, and there's a, a popular band called The Arcade Fire, 
Uh, and the Arcade Fire has this song, and it's been in a, a number of movies, and, and Peter Gabriel did this really good cover of it. And the name of the song, and the, the lyric in the main part of the song is this, My body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one I love. And that's sort of the chorus that this song keeps coming back to, keeps coming back to. And that, that song encapsulates what we sort of think of. We think that my body is just this shell, it's just this cage, and the real me is inside of there, and one day the real me is going to get to go somewhere else. And I'm going to get rid of this shell. I'm going to get rid of this cage. And so, as Christians, what has happened is because we've bought into this view of heaven that is kind of see-through, that is gossamer, we have disconnected our bodies from our Christianity. We don't understand, we can't imagine how to reconcile our bodies and our souls. So they're separate. So our bodies are the things that we have to do and deal with during the week, and on Sunday we get to do soul things in the morning. And we don't know how those connect. What's fascinating is, in that vacuum, in that vacuum of us putting our souls and our bodies together, a number of other things have rushed in to sort of take the place of that. I I, I did a, a Google search. There are more yoga studios in downtown St. Pete than there are churches. Uh, Now, that's very St. Pete, right? Doing yoga is a very St. Pete thing. In fact, last week, the winner of the most St. Pete thing of the week uh, was goat yoga. Uh, Because there's a place where you go and you do yoga, and as you are doing yoga, goats will come along and crawl on top of you and, like, you know, just kind of hang out on you while you're doing yoga. Uh, which could not be any more St. Pete, right? There it is. That's St. Pete, right? And that's why we love St. Pete, because all of us kind of go, that's crazy, but maybe. (laughs) I mean, I'd give it a try. The, The reason I bring up yoga studios is this. One of the things that yoga has done a great job with, that the church has abandoned, is this idea that our bodies and our souls are connected. Yoga is filling in a gap that we have abandoned. Because we believe that our future has nothing to do with our body, we can't understand how our bodies and souls fit together. And so... We're confused. But this confusion gets a little deeper when we think about all of the ways that on the one hand, we ignore our bodies because we don't know how to fit them into our spirituality, but on the other hand, we live in a culture that is absolutely obsessed with our bodies. Our appearance, our physical fitness, what we do and how we look is absolutely at the top of our mind. We're obsessed with them. Look at the rise of so many organic grocery stores. Why? 
because what I put into my body matters. Look at the rise of just anything you can imagine, and there's so much where our bodies are so much the emphasis. And the reason is because in our culture, we worship our bodies. Our bodies are not a temple for something else. Our bodies are what we worship, our God. And so we sort of stand in this confusing place where on the one hand, we worship our bodies, where everything we do is pointed towards making our bodies better. And then on the other hand, we don't know how to connect our bodies to our spirituality, specifically our Christianity. And so we're just sort of schizophrenic. We're just sort of confused. We don't know what to do. So what I want to do this morning is give us sort of a picture from the Bible of how our bodies are a part of our spiritual lives. What it means to be a Christian and what that means for our bodies. You see, this week, what we're talking about in the Apostles' Creed is the second to last phrase, that we believe in the resurrection of the body. And when we say that, we've already talked about the resurrection of Jesus, so we're talking about something else here. We're talking about the resurrection of your body and mine. How does that affect, change, and inform the way that we think about ourselves, specifically our own bodies? What I'd like to do is read just two verses to you from the book of Philippians. And this is Paul, and he's writing about a number of things, but he ends one of his discussions by talking about our bodies and what's going on. So I'd ask that you would stand with me. We're going to read the last two verses of Philippians 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's on the screen. It's also in the app. Paul says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. City Church, this is the Word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Paul begins to lay out what it means for us to live in our bodies. What our bodies have to do with spirituality. And what we see is he sort of is attacking the same sort of confusion we have. Either we overemphasize our body and worship it, or we underemphasize our body, don't connect it to anything, and just think that it's a shell that keeps us from being with the ones that we love. And Paul addresses both of these errors in this text. First, he talks about our underemphasis on our bodies. And he says this in the text, that our bodies will be changed, will be made new, just like Jesus' body has been made new. And for those of us who underestimate the role that our body plays in our Christianity, Paul says, no, 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 no. This is a big deal. Because what you live in now, your body, hands, fingers, toes, hearts, your body is what you will live in eternity in. 
your body is going to last forever. Now this fights against what we normally think, right? We normally think that my body has got 60 years, maybe more, and then it's going to wear out, then I'm going to die, and then I get to be a non-body person. But Paul says, no. Your body will be changed just like Jesus' body was changed. In fact, one of the things that shocks most people is, and this is very exciting for me, that in heaven we will eat. Right? No shock that I'm surprised and excited about that. But look at the picture of Jesus. What did Jesus do? When he rose from the dead, did he just sort of float around? Or did he sit on the beach cooking and eating fish with his followers? Did he join them for meals? Yes. When the Bible talks about the first thing that's going to happen when God begins to transform this world into the world that is to come, what does he say we will do? We'll sit down around a giant banquet table with Jesus and we will eat and we will drink. You see, when we move into the world that is to come, we will move into it with this body that has been transformed. Now, don't get me wrong. It won't be exactly like this. I read an illustration I think that's very helpful. Uh, The body that we have now is the rough equivalent of the car that you give a 16-year-old. Right? Many of you remember your very first car. I do mine. It was in 1986 Buick Regal. It was three and a half tons of American steel. I can remember, literally, the car was totaled three times. And never once did it affect the running of the car. Because every other car just bounced off of this thing. I mean, I literally got rear-ended. Somebody doing 30 miles an hour was distracted by the copious amount of band stickers on the back of my car. And just plows into me. It slightly bends my bumper and takes a Honda Civic and crumpled it. Why, why do we give kids terrible cars? Because they're going to wreck them. Right? You're, you're going to wreck... If you didn't wreck your first car, kudos to you. What's it like to be perfect? Glad you got that 1600 on your SAT, people who never wrecked your first car. No, you give, you give 16-year-olds terrible cars because they're going to wreck them. But then what happens when you retire? Right? You, you finally sort of get that last car. My parents, they're not in here right now, so I'm going to tell a story about them. They're at that stage in life where they swear that everything they get will be the last of that thing that they will ever own. Kids, don't climb on that couch. That's the last couch I'll ever own. Don't, don't, no, 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 don't break that glass. That's the last set of glasses I'll ever own. And my parents bought themselves a nice car, the nicest car they've ever owned in their retirement, right? Why? Well, we want a nice car because it's the last car we'll ever own. And it's a very nice car. I'm always afraid to drive it. 
the comparison between your first car and your last car is like what our bodies now and then will be like. Are there a lot of things the same? Are the guts of your first car and what will be your last car fundamentally the same? Yes, they're both still cars. And yet one of them is a good bit nicer. Is a car that has been made to last. Our bodies will be transformed. And so God says, look, I have already begun to change this world. My resurrection is what guarantees your resurrection. I am changing things. And so you need to live as if Jesus has rose from the dead. And you notice when Paul talks in Philippians, Mike, could we put that back up here? That he talks about living as citizens of heaven. We have a new king. A new king who will give us a new body. And he says, you need to begin to think about how your body is connected to your soul in your life. What does that mean? What does that begin to look like? We need to, as Christians, begin to flesh out how our body and soul are connected because when we are in eternity, our bodies and souls will be connected. And so Jesus' call for us is to live as if that is true right now. We need to begin to ask questions about that. It's interesting that one of the seven deadly sins has to do literally with our body. One of the seven deadly sins is gluttony. This is not something we talk about. This is something I am mildly uncomfortably talking about. Because the results of it are quite obvious in many of our lives. The reason why gluttony is a sin, one of the reasons why, is because it is a failure to connect our soul and our body. It's a failure to see the way our appetites are affected by our spirit. It's a failure to make the connection between our bodies and souls. And so Paul says, because you are going to be citizens of heaven, because Jesus is going to transform your bodies, you need to begin to think through what is it like to live as if that is true. You need to begin to emphasize that more. Now, if I'm being honest, and I think about City Church, and I think about the city of St. Petersburg, while that's something we need to hear, more often than not, we need to hear something from the other side. We need to be reminded that the bodies that Jesus are going to transform are our lowly bodies. Because many of us here in St. Pete are quite proud, thank you very much, of our bodies. Our church has a higher percentage than most in it of people who do CrossFit. And CrossFit is fine. That's fine. CrossFit's fine. However, how many of us, whether we're a Christian or not, have made fitness our functional God? 
How many of us, when we look around at our lives, when we sort of think about our daydreams, think about what we spend the bulk of our money on, when we sort of begin to think about that, how many of us would our checkbook and daydreams say, your God is fitness? Maybe, maybe you're not a rabid crossfitter, and yet how many of our worries and fears have to do with our appearance? How much of our self-worth relies on what we see in the mirror? See, all of these things are ways in which we see that our, our functional God is fitness. Our functional God is appearance, is our bodies. And it's interesting because when we make fitness and appearance our God, there's, there's good reason to do that. There's a simple reason that the mechanics of our heart grabs onto. Because when we want to create a religion for ourselves, when we want to create a new God, one of the things we want to do with that new God is be able to control it. And here's what's great about fitness. I can control it. Well, some of you can control it. I clearly can't control it. A little self-deprecating humor. You can laugh. It's not that uncomfortable. But think about it. What you eat... How much you exercise are both things that are inside of your control. And therefore, if I make the right sacrifices, where does the language of sacrifice come from? It's the language of religion. If I make the right sacrifices in what I eat, in my time, I can control the outcomes. And what happens is, we end up worshiping our bodies. We end up getting control. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 listen. Jesus is going to transform your lowly body. Don't get too excited about what you got going on. Because as great as it is, as muscled up as some of you may be, as beautiful as some of you are, your body is still broken and lowly. You may have an 87 Buick Regal instead of an 86 Buick Regal. But it's still a jalopy. And when we begin to look at the ways that we worship our body, and when we begin to repent of those, one of the things that it does is it gives us freedom from slavery to our self-image. Slavery to what other people think. Slavery to what other people are judging us by. And so we have to stand in between, just like the Bible, and say that we cannot ignore the way that our body plays a role in our spiritual life. But we cannot worship our body either. And the good news is that there is hope in this passage as well. We are going to be made like Jesus. He is going to transform us, 
just the way that his body is, we will be transformed into that same thing. And the way this passage sets up is, it begins with our citizenship in heaven, and then it ends with, the way he's going to do this is the power that makes Uh, The power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Subject, that's the same language of a king and his kingdom. We are citizens. We are his subjects. And what we see in this passage is, yes, we have lowly bodies that need to be transformed. But yes, our bodies matter because they will be transformed. And both of these things are done by the power of God that makes us citizens of another world. Paul uses in in this chapter before it the idea that we are aliens. The picture of us in the Bible is that of resident aliens in a foreign country. We already have citizenship from somewhere else. Our allegiances are not to anything that is here. Our allegiances are somewhere else. And so we are diplomats. We are people working outside of where we will one day return to. And that power that is in Him that will change your body and mine is the same power He gives us to live as citizens of heaven. And this power comes from the fact that Jesus gave up His body for you and for me. You know, it's interesting when we take communion, the words that we talk about each week is that this is the body of Christ which is broken for you. His body was broken so that ours could be made new. His flesh was torn apart. His soul was ripped in half so that you and I could have our bodies and souls put back together. See, all of the damage we have done, whether it's through gluttony or through worshiping fitness that has taken its toll on our body, wherever we are at on that spectrum, the death of Jesus is Him taking the brunt of those sins in our body onto His body. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus didn't just die for us. Jesus also rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, what we see is that our resurrection is guaranteed. Because Jesus has been raised, so too will you and I. So how does this affect us? What are we supposed to do with this here in St. Pete this week? I think if we think through the way that Jesus' body was broken and then rose from the dead, we need to begin to think about the ways the resurrection of His body and our body affects our lives. And there's just a couple of ways I want us to think about this. First, for some of us, This is a call to stop worshiping your body. It is a jalopy no matter how excited you are about it. It's going to break down and it is in need of transformation. It is a lowly body. On the other side, some of us need to stop ignoring our body. Some of us need to think about the way that we eat, the way that we exercise because our bodies are linked to our souls. 
And last, we need to begin to push our faith into our daily bodily lives. You see, one of the consequences of us sort of putting spirit on one side and body on the other is we don't think too well about how those two things come together and how our faith works on Monday to Friday. What what would it mean for a citizen of heaven to be a teacher? How would that affect your teaching? What does it mean for a citizen of heaven to be a builder? How would that affect your building? What does it mean if I was a resident alien, if I was somebody whose allegiances were somewhere else, how would that affect the way that I make sales calls? How does the resurrection of Jesus begin to change the way that I see my work, that I see my role around the house, that I see everything? You see, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that we have been bought with a price, that His body has been torn so ours could be made new. And the question then comes to us, how then do we begin to see and live as citizens of heaven, citizens whose bodies and soul are one because of the message of Jesus?